gun. I have no quarrel with you, Guardian Shard. Ha! What a kind sentiment! week we are thrilled to welcome back to blast points once again mr david collins the hardest working man in the world he's a sound designer he's a sound editor he's a stage host at celebration he has an incredible podcast of his own what can't he do i don't know i don't think there's anything he can't do what you're about to hear is we are going through, since the last time we talked to him, going through all the new Star Wars stuff that he worked on. It is a lot of stuff. He is just a nonstop fountain of information and fun stories. And it's just, it's a real pleasure having him on the show because, you know, back in the day we were talking before we hit record for this, we were talking about what what an inspiration he has been for us even before we started Blast Points and this full circle moment, having him on this much on the show. And kind of, can we say he's a friend of Blast Points now? I think we could. I think we could, yeah. I think we could. So <laughs> what you're about to listen to is wonderful. We are so honored to bring this to everyone. You're going to learn a lot and... Right? Enough of us blabbing. We should just play it, right? Yeah, let's get to the good stuff. Here we go. David Collins, episode 360. I, well, I can't believe it. The last time we talked, if you can believe this, was October 2021. And since then, we've had, what, five, six incredible seasons of Star Wars TV, multiple Lego specials, not to mention Willow, Light and Magic, and now there's a new Indiana Jones movie on the horizon and the promise of three more Star Wars films. It's amazing looking back at not so long ago, October 2021, when the last time we chatted. Wow. Really? It was that long ago? and. I- it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but when you when you list all those projects, it definitely feels like a lifetime ago because it has been. And I've said this before, but twenty twenty one and twenty actually even as far back as twenty twenty, it's been 
three of the busiest years of my career. And I think of, of Star Wars in general, Lucasfilm. I mean, it's just, it's been amazing and, uh, and constantly surprising in terms of the stuff that we see on screen and, and, uh, that we've been able to work on and yeah, I'm loving it. I hope you guys are having a good time. I feel like you know, I'm still reacting to the last TV show and then a new one comes or, you know, I, I finally just beat Jedi survivor, by the way, uh, just days before recording with you guys, you know? So it's like, I just feel like I, there's constantly something to look forward to. So I love that. Yeah. It's been exciting. I think the only downside is like, it's hard to find time to go back and revisit stuff, which is, is always weird as a Star Wars fan. Cause there was, you know, so much of being a Star Wars fan is like watching the movies over and over again, or, you know, going back to your old favorites and with all this new stuff, it's like a different feeling of being excited for Star Wars all the time, but it's actually for brand new stuff. It does seem like there's a lot of stuff on the horizon, but I also just never know. I, I, I mean, I never know how I, I never take anything for granted that this will last. You know what I mean? I, I have I have a lot of conversations with uh, with friends about how lucky I feel to do this stuff and and how lucky we are as Star Wars fans to experience all of these things. But we live so many years without it that I, I never take it for granted. And I sometimes think, well, what if we didn't have it? I, I, I would be much more sad, you know, <laughs> regardless yeah. of the fact that I wouldn't be able to, you know, I actually, I don't know if I want to go back and, and watch the same stuff over and over again, as opposed to getting something new, because I remember those days so well of, oh my gosh, there's new Star Wars. It's been 16 years since Return of the Jedi. I can't believe we're getting a new movie. You know, I remember those movies like they were yesterday. And now it's like, it's been 16 weeks since the new Star Wars. I can't wait to watch this new movie. Oh, what's going on? <laughs> Get it together. You know, why are you making us wait? I know. I, <laughs> I know. It's I, I get impatient sometimes too. Like the countdown I mentioned, I did some voice work for Jedi Survivor, but I didn't, I wasn't part of the dev team or anything. So I got to play it pretty much spoiler free and and uh and the wait for it was excruciating in fact one of the producers on mandalorian she's just a huge fan we were on zoom i think on one of the mixes of mandalorian season three and i was like that's an interesting cockpit you have there is and uh and it was sure enough it was from jedi fallen order and i we suddenly bonded over over being fans of it and she was like i I cannot wait any longer this was like back in october november you know, she's like, I am dying. I keep playing Fallen Order over and over again, waiting for the new game. So, yeah, it, it never goes away, that feeling of anticipation, even if it is coming at us faster. That must have been really cool, though, like doing the voice work and playing it through the whole thing. And did you know when you were coming up or were you playing it and you're like, hey, wait, that's me? A little. Uh, it was a little bit of both, honestly. Um, I feel like over the course of my career, I've, I've made a sort of survival habit of forgetting uh, sensitive plot details that I'm exposed to. <laughs> like, um, I remember one point I was backstage with Dave Filoni at Celebration. This was before I started working for the company again. And he just decided to just sit there and tell me everything that he was planning, you know, and then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And my jaw was on the floor. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to work with you on that someday. And I said something like that. And he just kind of laughed and I forgot about it. And then sure enough, I slowly, I saw it happen on Clone Wars and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about all this. <laughs> so I, I think over the years, I've just kind of developed this survival technique of when you're exposed to sensitive information, use it to do your job and then just forget about it. <laughs> and it actually makes it more fun when you finally get to watch it, you know? So yeah, sometimes there were some conversations that I had no idea. There was one conversation where I was talking to myself as a, as a droid and as a stormtrooper, and I didn't know that 
when I recorded it because I recorded those, I think on two separate dates, you know, so I wasn't like clocking that I had read the other side of the conversation because it, you know, there were, there was time between when I did those and you're reading so much material, you know, I mean, it's just a huge game. So when I saw that scene where there's, you know, you walk up to the stormtrooper and spoiler alert, you walk up to the stormtrooper and a K2 droid and they're both talking and, and uh, it's, you have to mind trick one of them. They're, they're both me. <laughs> and I, I had to screen grab that because it was like, oh my God, that's a first, I think. Um, you know, that's my only D. Bradley Baker moment I think I've ever had as a voice actor. Well, yeah, and you and the team at Skywalker Sound, like in all the stuff we've gotten in just the past two years have been just a key element. I mean, I know Gabe and I talk about it all the time. It's been said for decades that the sound is half the experience with Star Wars and the the, the amazing work that you all are doing over there is just so important and so appreciated by us. Oh, that's great. Thank you. So what we thought we would do, since we it's there's been so much stuff since we talked last, we'd go through the stuff that you and your team worked on and just kind of talk about each one of them and highlight each one of them as we go through because it's just amazing work. And I think the first one, if we go from October 2021 – the book of Boba Fett. We love, we love the book of Boba Fett. You were now you were nominated for an Emmy, a primetime Emmy for the book of Boba Fett, right? No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. No, that was that was incredible. Yeah, my wife and I went to the Emmys, and it was 106 degrees out in September of last year in a tuxedo down at uh, down in uh, downtown LA. But yeah, that was that was wild. I mean, just and it was for the it was for the Luke Skywalker episode and. I was a sound editor on Book of uh, Book of Boba Fett, and that was actually kind of a dream come true because it, I was a sound editor, and the other sound editor was Benny Burt. That's Ben Burt's son, who's an amazing sound editor, and uh, and so Benny and I were the two sound editors on uh, on Book of Boba, and he did the odd numbered episodes, and I did the even numbered episodes. That's how we split that up. So I got, and I lucked out because I got the the Luke Skywalker episode. I mean, we, we both credit, it's kind of like a, you know, we both kind of work on both, you know, but, but in terms of like, who's taking point on each one, I was taking point on the even ones. Um, and you know, cause we're constantly like sending each other files back and forth. You know, if, if you establish something in one episode, then he's like bringing it in for me into the next one and vice versa. So everyone kind of works on everything. At least we did on that show, but like, that was really, really special. Um, I spent way too much time cutting Luke's lightsaber from, you know, making sure it sounded just like it did in episode six. Um, when he was swinging it around, I found a lot of old R2-D2 files, you know, cause you, you rarely get to cut R2 is just straight up R2. You're constantly trying to cut something that doesn't sound like R2 because it's so iconic. But here, like in the temp, they had that classic, uh, whistling that he does on, on, uh, Tatooine when he's you know R2 that way and he's going <laughs> I can't even whistle that high but like it's those sounds are like emotionally stuck in your brain and they had that in the temp and I'm like oh well this is from Empire you know while he was you know leading Din towards the the spider bots you know building the Jedi temple and I said well let me go back to the source material and I found an alternate take that Ben Burt did um in that same little work print file that was a different whistle take with a different melody, but was just right after it. And I plugged that one in and it's like, it sounds new, but it's totally vintage 
R2D2 Ben Burt that I had never heard before after over, you know, after what, 40 plus years after Empire. And when I cut that in and just cutting the R2 stuff that was so exciting, like you just rarely get to play with those kind of sounds, um, you know, right at the source and having those characters on screen was just magic. Hello, friend. I'm looking for Skywalker. I came to see the kid, Grogu. And I got to cut all of Davy Accord's um, N1 Starfighter stuff in that episode, you know, when he's coming back into Jawa's Palace, not knowing at the time that I'd be the sound designer on um, on season three of Mandalorian and, you know, where I was dealing with that ship constantly. So that was really great for me going into the Mandalorian because then I got to kind of help expand a little bit on that on that stuff. I have a question with with, with the R2-D2 sounds because they were so much recorded over such a long period of time are there ever instances where you want to use a couple different sounds together but they maybe don't mesh as well because one is maybe from a new hope time and one's from return of the jedi time or one came you know later in the prequels or do they all kind of at this point now that they're all available digitally is it pretty easy to make them all kind of mesh together um i've found that even since the lucas arts days that anything from empire strikes back on Sounded pretty similar. The New Hope stuff, that's all historically been through. It's kind of denoising and, and uh, you know, polish pass and, and, and things like that. But there were some, there's some stuff from the, from the archives that sounds a little more dated. Um, but the R2 stuff, especially the nature of those sounds being, you know, very uh, synth and, and vocoder oriented. I mean, those are really, those really survive pretty well. So you can mix and match. And, and what I found, especially about R2-D2 is that, we all have those sounds that we've heard a million times because they were licensed out, like the ones you know where you turn the page on the storybook and things like that. But we actually have the ability to go in and listen to all of his vocalizations in every movie in isolation. And there are a ton of sentences that R2 says in these movies that he that you never hear anywhere else. You never hear it licensed. You never hear it, um, you know, in a toy or or whatever. You just hear that those same sounds over and over again that are licensed. So like I try and find those little you know nuggets of gold and use those. And that's that's probably my favorite part about about you know cutting that stuff is is finding the stuff that, you know, it, it sounds familiar because he was kind of chatting while while 3PO was chatting to Bib Fortuna, the R2's over in our corner just kind of like, you know, grumbling something. You know, well, now I can feature that, you know, or something like that, you know, just to use an example. I don't think that was exactly what I did, but, 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 um, there's a lot of vocalizations in there and they all sound really good. I'm curious. I think this is a, a good place to start with for folks, the difference between, like you said, with Book of Boba, you, um, sound editor, the difference between sound editing and sound designing. Yeah, and that's not something I was even really clear on until I started at Skywalker, you know, how how that worked in TV and film coming from games because, you know, everyone in games is just called a sound designer, but in in TV and in film, the sound designer is creating sounds based on a spotting session. So, let me take you into into uh, Book of Boba Fett. Um 
and Mandalorian, David Acord was the sound designer on those. And what that basically means is he's creating new stuff and he's building a show library for editors to reference and use. So if, uh, you know, if there's a new uh, starfighter, like the N1 starfighter, he's creating the ship takeoff and the ship landing and the ship buys of different kinds, either a long buy or medium buy, a fast buy, you know, an interior ambience and exterior ambience and some beeps and stuff for the cockpit and some telemetry and stuff. And he's putting that in a library. Then he gives it to us. And no matter how many episodes it, it, it appears in, we have that material in the library to now cut into every episode that it's in, but he just needs to design it and get it approved basically once. So as a sound designer, you sit down in the case of Mandalorian or you sit down with John Favreau and we go through what was, and we did this on Mandalorian season three, we do what's called a spotting session. So the supervising sound editor, which is the person basically running the whole sound team, in this case, it's Matthew Wood and the sound designer sit with the, the showrunner, which is uh, John Favreau and, uh, and Rick was there too. We go through and they say, we're probably going to need a new sound for this thing. And this is what we have in mind over here. And we're just furiously and quickly taking notes. And then we go off and we have some time to basically build a library. Um, and that's how you keep expanding the lore, you know, um, is, is building new and unique stuff for, for each show. You know, TV is a little different than film because it, there's a lot more, you know, it's not 90 or 120 minutes. It's more like six and a half, seven hours of entertainment, you know, so you have to, you have to uh, really figure out what to target, you know, uh, holistically for the season. But that's the difference between a sound designer and a sound editor. The sound designer is literally just designing sounds and, you know, we cut some sequences. So on Book of Boba Fett, I did the train, I edited the train episode. Um, and David Acord had made all of those um, train sounds, you know, the train going through the desert. He had made all those sounds and he had actually done a pass at the droid engineer and all those, you know, all the knob fiddling he was doing, the engineer in the, in the uh, cockpit of that train. He had designed a lot of that stuff. But then I had to take it and expand it and I had to edit it into place with, you know, any sort of visual effects changes or changes to the cut or pass bys. And then I'm sweetening all these gunshots and ricochets and whistling wind and, you know, between his design and then the elements that I cut in and then what the mixer does. And then the Foley crew comes in and adds their layer. And it's the sum of all of those parts that is what you end up hearing. It's usually greater as a whole than the sum of its parts. You know, it just kind of elevates it and that's when the magic happens. But there, there are a lot of different people that bring their disciplines to bear and those are just two of them. You know, I mean, the, the sound designer and the sound editors work really closely together. And, and the other thing is like on Mandalorian season three, I had sound editors and then they would send me their work and I would listen to it, review it and, and maybe add and sweeten some stuff. And then I would sign off and send it to the mix stage for the mixer to start mixing. Very wordy explanation. Um, <laughs> no, but it's it's kind of those things where once you kind of hear it explained, it like it makes perfect sense. It's like, oh yeah, the sound designer makes the sounds and the editor takes the sounds that, that are designed and puts them in the picture and puts them in the right spots and 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 that sort of thing. So Yeah. And part of it is just like from a workflow point, I mean, they're they're living with an episode while I've already moved on to the to the other episode and I'm, you know, making new sounds or addressing notes, you know. So yeah, there's, there's the sound editor is kind of wholly responsible for making sure everything is represented on screen. Whereas the sound designer is trying to figure out what, you know, the, the featured new stuff is, if that makes sense. Yeah. And with both of those, 
in both cases, are you dealing with legacy sounds as well? Like, you know, if you're in the sound editing phase and there's a sound that you want that's like a from the library, can you just grab that? Or is that still up to the sound designer to decide to reuse that stuff? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, sound editing is a really creative uh, field as well. And and they're they're kind of two sides of the same coin, honestly. Like, you know, you have to build and create stuff as a sound editor all the time um, that is specifically unique, um, you know, to whatever's going on in that scene and that story based on a number of different elements, you know, and you have to think, what is the mixer going to want to have separated too? Like, you know, they're going to want to be able to bring up the wind separately from the the metallic elements separately from the engine sounds. And so you lay that all out in separate ways, you know? Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of detail that a sound editor has to use uh, sound libraries for, and particularly with star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. You know um, sometimes as a sound designer, I'll curate, you know, what I think should be done. Like for example, um, in uh, book of, or sorry, Mandalorian, I very much wanted the uh, Keller and Beck stuff the order 66 stuff to sound like a prequel movie. So I was like, you've got to use these Naboo blasters. And so I pulled those and put them in the show library and you've got to use these other Panaka blasters with it. So to give it a little bite and then use these particular stormtrooper blasters and these particular gunship sounds and um, this sort of Nubian fighter sound. And like, so you are kind of, uh, guiding them towards that stuff. But, um, the nice thing about working at Skywalker is hopefully you don't have to, because the sound editor is a big, big, is just as big of a star Wars nerd as you are and just knows what to do, you know? So after a while you don't do that because you just know they're going to grab the right stuff and you absolutely have to know the, know the movies and know the shows and kind of keep up on that stuff in order to, to know what to grab and when. That moment in the Keller and Beck episode, when those Naboo blasters were going off, Gabe and I said it in in our episode for, for that episode of the Mandalorian. That was the moment where my heart soared. And I was like, oh, when I was sitting at like 5.30 a.m. watching that episode of the Mandalorian, I was like, oh, my God, those, it's those Naboo blaster sounds. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad because the mixer was like, what are these sounds? They sound really like old school sci-fi. And I'm like, dude, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the Queen's Royal Guard, man. You can't yeah. mess with that. And he goes, okay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and he goes, you know, and so, yeah, that's the stuff that I just live for. You know, it's like, well, what do I want to hear? If I wasn't working on this, what would I want to hear? And so, yeah, it warms my heart that you would say that. That's that's exactly what I was thinking, too. Take the ship. It's sealed and ready to go. Come on. Here's a very niche Book of Boba Fett sound question that I've had since the episode came out. When they're in the kitchen of Jabba's Palace, the voice of 99, originally in Return of the Jedi, we're recording this, by the way, on the actual 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. So this is a very Return of the Jedi question. The, vo- the voice of 99 was famously Richard Marquand. Yes, in the film, but in the book of Boba Fett, when ninety nine was talking to the the many knives uh, cutting droid, it blew my mind because I was like, "Oh my god, that sounds exactly like Return of the Jedi." Richard Marquand, what was going on there? I'll tell you exactly what it was, and it's the same thing that uh, happened when General Kale showed up in Willow, and I was present for both sessions. Uh, my buddy Sam Whitwer did a dead-on Richard Marquand impression. Oh my God! 
And then they just processed it with the same ring modulation that was used for Return of the Jedi. The same cadence, the same, you know, main audience's chamber. That yeah. whole thing. He just did he did it exactly right. And it just came out it came out perfectly. Um, but that is Sam, you know. He he just studied that thing, you know. And we have those really geeky conversations like, okay, well, this was Mark One. Why yeah, it was Mark One. Okay, let me do it, let me do Mark One. Hold on, hold on, you know, pull something up and be like, okay, I got it, got it, got it, got it. And then I'll roll a take and then do a second take and then it's done. You move on. That's how fast it happens. You know, it's in the next queue, you know. Um, but that was all in loop group. But that was Sam Whitworth doing uh, EV99 on, uh, in Book of Oak What was that? I don't know. More rats? Go find it. I will contact the rat catcher. I don't think it was a rat. I think we can move on to the next big thing that was just last year, almost a year ago right now, which is unbelievable. Obi-Wan Kenobi, which right, you're a re-recording mixer, co-sound editor, sound effects editor. What what was it? What was working on that like? Because you talk about with the Keller and Beck, with the prequels, you know, here we had episode three and a half with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. That was, um, I was brought in to do one episode, um, because I was, I was working on bad batch and, uh, bad batch season two at the time. I must've been, yeah, I was, and I was getting ready to do Willow. So this was before Willow started, but I was doing bad batch season two and, um, and I think tales of the Jedi at the same time. So I had my hands a bit full and they said, you know, we, our mixer is is working on Moon Knight, you know, and can't start until after, you know, I think some schedules had shifted around. And I think I think they were so excited about the show that the show actually came in early. So like the mix schedule had to start earlier than expected. Can you mix one of these early episodes? And I said, sure. And then they're like, and well, since you're mixing, can you cut it too? <laughs> I was like, sure. I'll, I'll edit sound on it. Because when you're editing sound and you're you're going to mix, like you're kind of, you have no one to blame but yourself, right? If you're not happy with it. So you know, I cut and mix at the same time. It's great. It's what I do in animation. So I got to do that with that episode with my uh, colleague, Kevin Bolin, who I've done a lot of uh, animation with, especially on Bad Batch. So Kevin and I cut that episode together and I mixed the second episode. It was the episode on Dayu when he goes to Dayu and and uh, he meets uh, Haja Estri, which was super fun doing those little mechanical sounds. Um, and then John Borland was the sound designer. So he and I went back and forth, you know, about certain sounds and and uh yeah i was at the ranch for a couple of weeks mixing and um and you know i was there with matt and and deb chow and and we you know got it up on its feet in the first week and she reviewed it and then we reviewed it a couple of times the next week and and then i had to move on to the next show and then the other mixers uh bonnie and danielle and and scott they took it from there but um i also got to do loop group on all six episodes which was super fun and uh and and do some voices in that including a bounty hunter that kind of looks like zuckus i did that guy i voiced as i dubbed over a zabrak in the hall that's like what are you doing back here you know that guy. <laughs> you know because they just they wanted a, I guess they wanted a different accent or american something or other and so i ended up dubbing that 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 uh scene and you know, just stuff like that. I mean, I, I was around for um, all the episodes, but I only really worked on the second one uh, in sound. The others I just did loop on. I, whenever you talk about that second episode, it takes me back to watching it with a live audience at Celebration last year. And God, what an experience. That was. I was there. I was there with my son. 
Yeah. And I was like going, oh, I put all those traffic in the surrounds. And here you can really tell because like the surrounds are like 300 feet away from the main. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I didn't know that when I was on a mix stage that, you know, how most people would look to, you know, and I rush over to Matt and he's like, what are you talking about? It's fine. It sounded great. What was that like? Like, because the the audience, one of the, the great things about that whole experience was, I think Gabe and I were talking about it afterwards and how much we missed watching Star Wars with strangers and a group of people. And yeah. we were all so hyped that night for those episodes. And that must have been so cool for you, especially having worked on the episode to hear a live reaction. Yeah, because the other thing we were we were talking about, too, is I don't know how often the crew and the people who worked on a show get to be in the audience with a crowd of people who haven't seen it. Like, it seems like it was, it's cool to see it with just people, but also, you know, the people who worked on it were a lot of them were there at celebration as well. So. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, just a quick side story. I used to, when I worked at um, Letterman Digital Arts Center, uh, LDAC, which is Lucasfilm headquarters in San Francisco, I used to attend all those Clone Wars premieres that they would do in the premier theater where they invite fans to, sit in the premier theater just outside the lobby there. And, and I used to fantasize about one day working on one of those and getting to attend one of these screenings, you know, cause I'd always stop Matt or Dave or, or, or somebody afterwards and be like, Oh, it sounded great. And so when bad batch came around and I was like, Oh man, finally, I'm going to go up to one of those premieres. And, and then it's like 2020, 2021 when it comes out you know, and I'm going, man, you know, and, and having hosted so many of those at celebration over the years, I was definitely disappointed. Since then, I've got to do things like that, like, um, you know, go to the Mandalorian premiere, go to the Willow premiere, go to uh, Celebration and, and see things with a crowd. And that's, yeah, that's huge, you know, when you watch people's reactions to things, because uh, I find myself watching reactions online. And I also have a couple of friends that, you know, every time they watch something, they call me. Sam calls me every time he watches something, as does my buddy Harrison from Respawn. They, every single time they watch something, I always, my phone always rings and like, that's kind of my way of, of getting to hear people's reactions, you know, really enjoyed that, you know? Um, and then I did the same thing for Jedi survivor. Every time I, I beat a force terror puzzle or something like that, I called him and I was like, that was insane. You know? So we try and do that for each other in lieu of having an audience, you know, just to support each other and, and geek out and remind it, remind ourselves, you know, uh, how cool it is that we get to do this and, and sort of keep that fire alive. Yeah, because I would imagine at, at this point, you know, like you're saying, before you get a chance to even really absorb what you were just working on, you're kind of moving on to the next thing. So, yeah, it's been really strange. I used to be able to tell you exactly what I did and when on everything. And like and, and now it, I don't have time to reflect, you know, and I, I've actually said this um to a friend and he goes, you know, one of these days you'll look back on this period and, and, and really absorb it. But right now it's just moving too fast. Um, there's so much great stuff happening and it is, I remember in the middle of bad batch season two, I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what episode's coming out next. Cause I was, I was so in the middle of Mando season three at the time, you know, and I was kind of for a while straddling both as well as vision season two to the point where I brought in my colleague, Max Smith, to finish Vision, Vision Season 2 because I, I I was overextended. And part of that is because Willow had also moved out a little bit in terms of schedule. So they were all kind of falling on top of each other in, uh, last fall. So like at one point, I just couldn't see straight. I was like, there's just there's too much going on, you know. Uh, fortunately, you know, that happens only every once in a while. And then you, you, you just 
hire your friends and they, they see you out of it. Um, and, uh, and that was the case a couple of times where I'm just like, oh my gosh, what, what episode's airing tonight? Oh, right. Oh my gosh. I forgot about this episode. I love this episode, you know? Well, it's, you know, it's almost kind of nice, you know, for you as a fan then though, that it does help you kind of almost forget what you worked on so that when it does come out, you can kind of sit back and enjoy it. Kind of. Yeah. Because it used to be that you worked on something for so long that you didn't want to watch it when it came out, <laughs> you know, and, and you thought about it, you know, especially if you worked on a game, I mean, you guys, you, yeah. you, you're just looking at the same thing and you're just hammering on it and you're closing bugs and when it actually hits the shelves, you you know, or hits uh, PlayStation or whatever, you don't want to play it. But nowadays, it, I'm really, I'm just really enjoying the ride, you guys. I really am just enjoying all this, all this uh, stuff coming out, and uh, the fact that there's more coming is just amazing. Well, keep keeping the ride going. Uh, what was it like working on Tales of the Jedi? Kind of what did you do on that, and and how quickly did that come together? That seemed like it was something that. I mean, everything happens, you know, before we as fans know about it. But yeah, kind of where did Tales of the Jedi come from? Tales of the Jedi was my understanding of Tales of the Jedi was that Dave had these stories, these ideas, and he gave them to Carrie back. And Carrie's like, I'm going to figure out a way to produce these. And the way that it was presented to us at Skywalker was that it was kind of threaded through the Bad Batch season two schedule. But I was like, what is this thing that's coming up? Oh, they're like, oh, it's a short. So you're going to do two of them. I'm like, is it Bad Batch? Like, no, it's a different, it's its own thing. So I didn't know what it was until I got picture turned over and I looked at it. I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> you know. And so that was really fun because I got to just kind of uh, work on them as both a sound designer and an editor, but also I mixed them. Um, so I actually went up to the ranch to do those and uh, Filoni came in. And got to just kind of spend time with him on those. And that was really fun. And he's, he's such a good client to work with. I mean, first of all, we've known each other now for um, 16 years, something like that, 17 years. I think we met in 2007. Actually, we met in 2005. He was wearing, he was, he was dressed as Plo Koon, but I didn't know him at the time. <laughs> but I, but I, I met, we, we like started uh, working on Celebration together in 2007. And, um, and this was like the, one of the first times we got to just kind of work one-on-one -on, -one on something and his, his take on things like he had very specific ideas but he was also very like oh like very collaborative like oh that's cool i like that yeah cool like he wouldn't uh if he liked something he's just like look cool let's move on you know if he had specific ideas he would he would push me on different directions and and like you know there were some great moments like you know when ahsoka is is uh surrounded by fire in this very sort of seven samurai type of scene with that inquisitor and he's like, you need to really push the drums here. Can you try a pass where you just push the drums? And so I isolated the drums because Kiner, you know, he delivers things in stem. So I can actually pull uh, up certain things when the director wants it on the stage. So I was able to pull up the drums a little bit more. And when I did it, I hear this like, yeah, from the back of the room. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we're on to something here, you know. So like, that was fun, man. I mean, it was really, really fun. And again, I had Kevin Bolin and... Um, uh, Bill Rudolph, I think might've helped me a little bit there too. Michael Brinkman, some, some of those guys, Kim Patrick, she helped me a lot. Um, so season two was when I, 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 I really was like, okay, I need help and I need to have a bigger crew because it started bad batch started and animation started with me just kind of doing everything on it. But as it grew with the Lego specials and visions, and then, you know, bad batch became bad batch and tales of the Jedi, 
we got more and more people involved and now we have this really great running crew where, you know, we have this kind of shorthand where I can, you know, hand something off to, to, to those folks. And then we kind of collaborate on a sound edit together. And sometimes I mix, sometimes I give it to another mixer and, um, Tales of the Jedi, I, I very selfishly kept for myself, <laughs> like all the mixes. Cause I wanted to work with Dave and that was really, really, really special. Um, it was over really fast. I felt like, you know, it was just kind of like once and done, you know, but, uh, when I saw young Qui-Gon, um, Dave, you know, after we mixed the first episode, he's like, you want to see what's coming up? Cause I hadn't seen anything else yet. I said, sure. And he brought it up on his laptop and he showed me and I just was floored, you know, I can't, I can't wait to do this. If we were dumb and we didn't go to the panel in Anaheim last year. Cause it was, I think it was Saturday morning and we were like, we were like, we just need a break. And we like went out and got breakfast and kind of slept a little later. And then a bunch of our friends that went to the panel were just like, I can't believe you guys didn't go. And they were doing the same thing where they were showing us pictures of young Qui-Gon on their phone. And we were like, what? Yeah. And the very sort of like hammer horror version of Count Dooku. Oh you know? God. So good. It's kind of like very sixties, seventies looking, um, Christopher Lee, Count Dooku. Just, he looks like Pete Townsend kind of too. He does. <laughs> he looks like, it's like horror of Dracula meets Pete Townsend, <laughs> you know, uh, meets Chris. Yeah. It's really, it's crazy. Um, but I, I just loved it. And I loved the whole Gothic sort of, it's like, I almost wish that there, that there was a, like, I, I almost wanted like some sort of, I don't know how this would ever work in star Wars. It wouldn't, but like a Dooku, you know, Tarkin mashup, just so I could see those two on screen together with Dooku looking away. Like, yeah. You know, can we just have Tarkin like looking at an old hologram of Dooku at one point just to get those two on screen together again, you know, yeah. like we live the Frankenstein yeah. days or whatever. But yeah, that, that was, those were really fun to do. Well, you know, Tarkin was around during the Clone Wars. He probably, he, he, he could easily have had a meeting with Count Dooku or something. That's true. A younger Tarkin. Yeah. And it would be a younger, uh, a younger uh, uh, Peter Cushing. Yeah. Furiously takes notes. <laughs> if, if, if only you knew someone to talk to about that. Right. <laughs> That's awful. So I'm, I'm curious. We, we talking about Tales of the Jedi. We talked about Book of Boba and, and Obi-Wan and stuff. What's the difference? Is there a difference in approaching sound for animation versus live action? Because you know, we, I think, we take for granted with Star Wars animation that you're building everything from the ground up. Well, I mean, that part actually isn't all that different because um, I would say, in in some ways, animation is easier because you're not dealing with production sound. Production sound is, you know, if 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 anyone's if, if you've never worked with it before, it's kind of a rude awakening when you realize how rough it is when it comes in, you know, cause you've got, you've got boom mics and you've got lavalier or, you know, or body mics, you know, that are hidden on the actors. A lot of times though, they're under, under their costumes so they can be muffled or they're, you know, they're phasing or, you know, they're shooting in rain or, you know, you're on a set and you hear, you know, you hear the wooden set, you know, you hear the kind of plaster and, 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 wood and it's you're supposed to be you know on a big metal ship you know you hear all kinds of noise you know even like if the wind is blowing through someone's hair you're hearing you know as it cuts to a close-up of someone you're hearing like the fan off camera like that stuff that stuff you do not have to deal with in animation and so we have these incredible dialogue editors at skywalker sound that have um 
so many beautiful ways of cleaning that stuff up. And then whatever can't be cleaned up goes to ADR. And then you have to schedule um, the actors to come into the studio and replace a lot of their lines. Or sometimes they just add lines over the shoulder of actors or, you know, they'll change lines if they're, you know, you know, under the helmet. So, cause there's no lip sync, you can have Mandalorian or, or any stormtrooper say whatever you want, you know, because there's no lip sync as long as it fits in the cut and makes the scene, make it, make it better and make sense, you know? So th- that's kind of a, uh, a big part of doing live action that you don't have to deal with in animation animation. You know, you record the, the dialogue before you animate and the, the, the animation is done to the recorded takes and so by the time I get it, I'm getting this perfectly animated, clean recording that was done in a recording studio. Um, so, you know, dialogue happens very quickly in animation and it's a huge, huge process in live action. Other than that, Foley, sound effects, music, it's it's mostly the same. I mean, it's funny with something like Star Wars, you would say normally like, well, animation so stylized compared to live action. But that really depends. I mean, there's some live action Star Wars that is just as stylized if not more than animation you know um it's star wars you know it's it's huge and fantastic and and you can get away with so many crazy sounds and and the more creative you think like the more you think like ben burt the better you know well and that seems to be one of the things with mandalorian even you know from the beginning is it it really does feel like animation that happens to be live action just because he keeps his helmet on the whole time like it's doesn't seem like it couldn't be as stylized as animation. I mean, if, yeah, if anything, it is just as stylized as you would think animation would be. Yeah. I think back to that whole first sequence in the first episode, you know, when he comes into the bar and, you know, it's very, very stylized, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that because it does, it reminds me of, you know, Sergio Leone films, which were all dubbed. It has that kind of created feel that sort of like um, elevated, artistry you know like you're you're creating something you're not just like shooting a documentary you know um whereas andor felt very much the opposite andor felt very grounded and was its whole other thing which by the way i did loop group on andor but i did not do any sound work on andor so that was one of those things where you know i saw bits and pieces obviously and i got to do some really cool voices in that you know like the ship computer the luthan rail ship computer there some stormtroopers and things but I had no idea what was going on, really. Um, and so when I saw it, I was just totally blown away because when it turns out when a TIE fighter goes over your head, you know, on a planet, it's horrifying. It's, it, it'll just scare you out of your pants. I, I loved that. You know, that's a whole other different language, uh, you know, kind of storytelling um, that was just just beautiful and just blew me away, blew me away. That was that was such a pure fan experience for me because I, I wasn't analyzing it and trying to figure out how to, how to cut it. It was, it was done by someone, it was done by Dave Acord and a different crew. And I just, I just, I'm such a huge fan of Andor. I really loved it. Really great stuff. Well, let's move on. Step outside star Wars for just a second with Willow, which I mean, that is something that I know we were super interested in from a sound perspective because we're so familiar with the sounds of Star Wars, like the TIE Fighter again. But Willow, a Lucasfilm production, all, you know, it was Ben Burt, it was all the original folks. And how, I don't know, how, what was the approach going into Willow? How much of the legacy Willow sounds were used? What, what was all of that like? Oh, well, that was, yeah. I mean, first of all, that was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had working on anything ever. I mean, I, I remember just 
it just felt like such a family and um the post-production producers um john kasdan tommy harper who i was like kind of fanboying over because top gun what maverick was going crazy in theaters at the time and he you know has his own title card as a producer in the opening of that movie and and he's you know he's there at all of our mixes and um i was like tommy i kept i saw top gun again this weekend you know and he's like, okay okay um <laughs> No, but but John Kazan was was so collaborative, and and one of the joys about that was I I also got to be the ADR supervisor on that. So I directed all the actors um, the entire summer last summer, you know, and it got to the point where where Kazan was sending me like a two page email before the sessions the night before of di- dialogue to try out, try this dialogue, and so I we would do all these alternate takes in ADR, like alternate Borman jokes or you know, alternate lines from, uh, you know, from Kit or whatever. Borman, Borman, you know, the, all that was done in ADR. It wasn't shot, you know, like Willow saying, a distraction, shiv someone. I mean, I, we did that as an option just to, just be, to, to get that cut to work because the, the way his lip, the lip sync was working in that shot, we were trying to figure out how to make that cut work because there was a script change. Like just stuff like that was just, was so wonderful and you know the banter and the dialogue is so fast and it's a cast of six or seven people constantly on stage delivering like tarantino paced dialogue in terms of how fast it comes at you at times and um so that was a a huge huge undertaking and, and working with the cast was so fun but from a sound perspective sound design perspective you know what happened was like like a lot of people i saw um the the showcase where this must have been 2021. Maybe it was 2020. I think it was 2021 where Kathy Kennedy got up on stage in front of uh, everybody and said, here's all the shows we're doing. <laughs> right. yeah. And she announced a Willow show. And I emailed um, our production manager at Sky Sound saying, I don't know who's doing Willow, but I would love to be a part of it. I loved that movie. I remember seeing it very well in 1988. Uh, in May of 88, I saw it in the theater on opening weekend. It was packed. I had one of those packed theater experiences you guys were just talking about. And he goes, it's funny. You're the second person to come, uh, and ask me about that. And I'm thinking about pitching you guys as a team. And I said, who is it? And he said, it's David Farmer. And I don't know if you know who David Farmer is, but he was the sound designer on Lord of the Rings. No big deal. (laughs) And he told, uh, our production manager, he goes, Willow's Willow was, you know, uh, is one of my favorite all-time movies. I think he might have actually said it was his favorite movie, um, that he just loved it, you know, coming up, and he really wanted to be involved. So they pitched Farmer. They pitched me as the supervising sound editor with with David Farmer as the sound designer, and uh, and Kasdan accepted, and we jumped in. And so Farmer was really, really uh, geeking out on all the Ben Bird stuff. And I remember he had a whole folder of okay, this is the kind of lightning you can use for Bav Morta. You can't use any of this other stuff. You have to use this lightning. And I listened to it. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. He had done all these variations on the original Ben Burt stuff, you know, for the, for the uh, Nakmar haunted house, what I call the Scooby-Doo episode. And he, you know, did all this incredible, I mean, the last episode, I actually asked him, do you want to just edit this yourself? I know you're the sound designer, but do you want to cut this episode? Because it's all you. It's a big magic thing. And it's stuff we've never seen or heard, you know, these like constellation shaped magic bolts coming out of these, these characters. And so he cut that whole thing himself and, uh, just knocked it out of the park. I also hired, um, Teresa Ecton, um, because she was one of the original sound editors on 
the original film. And uh, she and Dave had worked on Loki together. She's she's still at Skywalker. She's still still cutting and still working away even 35 years later. And so I said, do you want to do an episode? And so she did, I think, two episodes for me. She was on it. Um, we had a couple of sort of original uh, Cheryl Nardi, too. She's been a dialogue editor. And she was funny because she's like, you know, what's funny is I was on the set for this movie, I think. Yeah, I was. I didn't work on it, but I was on set for during the Nelwynville, the village. I remember this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cheryl. And so she she came on and she uh, she edited dialogue on a couple of episodes and was one of those dialogue editors that just worked magic with, you know, all the different location shoots and all of the rain. And the actors were amazing. There were whole scenes shot in the rain or there's one scene where they're by a river and the river is like roaring behind them. And I had to replace almost all that dialogue and you can't tell, you know, the actors were all really, really good at it. And they clearly loved each other because they were texting each other like, ha I just did a whole episode in under an hour. Take that, <laughs> you know, like, like just texting each other stuff. So it was, it was honestly one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. And, uh, uh, no matter what happens with that show, I will always be really grateful. And it's still in shock and disbelief that I got to work on it. And uh, I, I, I don't think we've ever heard. I don't think we've heard the last of it. Yeah. So yeah, it was really, really fun. It was, it was most of my year last year, and then I went straight from that into Mandalorian season three, um, like literally the same week. <laughs> like we, we finished. We were, we were mixing, and this is what I mean by like. There was one point we were, we were finishing Willow. Um, our last playback of Willow and we were doing our first playback of, of the first episode of, um, Mando season three, uh, the same week. Well, before Mandalorian season three came out, we had that little thing called the bad batch season two. Yeah. Which holy smokes, bad batch season two, looking back on it, what an epic ride. What a, an amazing season. Yeah. Looking back now at Bad Batch season two, like what what stands out for you? What what are your thoughts? One of them I said, well, first of all, I expanded the crew. You know, I, I got to expand the crew a little bit and and bring in some some other folks that really um, helped make it shine. You know, and that really started with you know after season one, I was saying, okay, you know, what can we look ahead to sound design wise, so I can spend more time on on what it is that we really need to to work on. And, and they immediately pointed out the fourth episode called faster. This is really going to need a lot of unique stuff. And so I set about as a personal challenge to not use a single pod race sound in that episode, even though they were all over the temp track, which is what comes from the editors when they're putting it together, they, they cut in sort of temporary sounds to try and help you get a feel for how it's going to go. And, um, but I made, um, with the help of my editors, actually, I made a bunch of new sounds for that. And, and I started by saying, well, why don't we just cut this first like a race? And I said, why don't you just like assign a Ducati type of sound to, you know, uh, this racer or a muscle car to this racer or an F1, you know, to this racer. And let's try cutting that in first and I'll start processing and layering on top of that. And that's what we did. So I was able to process existing sounds and then sweeten and layer until I found, and I kept kind of pushing and nudging the racers into sort of unique territory until they all sounded different. And then, um, I, you know, I had Kevin do all the, Kevin Boland do all the, 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 the blasters and the shields, which I love that he went, uh, super phantom menace with those shields because, you know, you've got less than a second to communicate. Oh, th that's hitting the shields. Boom, 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 boom. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, so, 
Yeah. You know, sometimes you use existing sounds because you just know that that's the clearest thing for the story. You're going to, you're going to hit the story beat. Everyone's going to get it right away and you have to move on. Um, so you choose those sounds sometimes because it just dramatically makes the most sense within the context of star Wars to choose those sounds. And so, um, when he did that, I was like, yes, this is it. Absolutely. Ding, ding, ding. Like, please. Like I, it was one of my favorite sounds in the Phantom Menace. Absolutely use those. And so he modified those and it sounded great. And, Allowing for adequate energy to be distributed from weapons to shields. I need more speed. I do have to say though that um, I again selfishly kept one episode uh, to myself, which I cut and mixed sort of as a one-man band, which was um, I think it was called the Solitary Clone, the third episode. Oh, and I I spent a lot of time on that episode. <laughs> And uh, went up to the ranch and mixed it myself. And this was still, you know, you, we we're still having to wear masks in the building and, and uh, you couldn't have, you know, there were all these COVID restrictions and it was closed to visitors because this is still very early days after lockdown that we're working on season two, because uh, this must have been, uh, when did we last talk? October of 2021. 20... Yeah. Okay. So the, so the story I'm telling you took place like weeks before that. It was oh. September of 2021. Uh, when I when I was mixing uh, the solitary clown for Bad Batch season two, I don't think we even announced Bad Batch season two. Maybe we had, I don't know. Uh, I just remember the sound of him shooting, you know, the sniper rifle up the barrel of the AAT tank, and you know, all of those sounds, and then playing with the droidicas and surround sound as they circle, because you actually see uh, Cody and crosshair on screen looking up and 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 behind and basically over the audience's head so i i took the surround panners and those wonderful droidica rolling sounds from the phantom and i just put them all over the place and and had just the best time uh doing that episode and i mean there were a lot of great episodes too you know uh in the middle all the political intrigue course on episodes the gun gunji episode uh and Kashyyyk. i had so much fun with those creatures recording actors as wookies and wookiefying them um, Shelby Young, who I do a lot of loop group with, she played one of the Wookiees and, you know, kind of worked to kind of turn her voice into a Wookiee voice, which was interesting, which we'd never done before. So you would record people speaking English and Wookiefy it? No, they were, they were, we recorded them going, that sort of stuff. And, you know, they did really good Wookiee impressions, which is always iffy, you know, they did a really good job. And then I, processed and mangled it and then i added kind of animal sounds into it to kind of blend it into something wookie-ish um but they you know creatures are really hard to do which is why i thought kersantan was i thought acord's kersantan vocals were so good um because creatures are really hard to get the proper emotion that you need um because you're dealing with uh animal recordings you know so when you have a character that's having to emote in very specific ways you know Doing that with sound effects is, is really challenging. Uh, on Willow, I actually did the uh, Mudmander character myself with a plug-in to make it sound like an, a creature because you need very, very specific emotional beats and you're getting notes on those emotional beats. And so uh, what Brad Rao and Jennifer Corbett and Athena did was they actually hired actors to play those roles. Yeah, and probably especially with Wookiees because we we know like in our heads what was because of Chewbacca and what we saw in Revenge of the Sith, what, what Wookiees sound like. 
yeah, getting that, that's just amazing hearing like, yeah, people doing like Wookiee imitations and then mixing it with the animal sounds. Yeah, it was really cool. And in fact, we did that after, before they animated it. So uh, months before we mixed or, or cut sound on the episode, they sent us the files and said, can you kind of turn these into Wookiees? It was right after they recorded them. And we said, sure. And um, they said, do whatever you want and we'll animate to that. And so I was able to do that, you know, design those way before they even animated the episode, sent them back to Lucasfilm Animation. And then so by the time I got picture turned over, like the lip sync was perfect to what I had kind of done to it. And, but I, to be fair to those actors, I didn't have to do much. You know, they, they did a great job. I just, I just kind of sweetened it to make it sound a little less human. That's not something everybody has on their resume as far as uh, being a, a real life Wookiee voice actor. So good, good for them. Right. right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. What is a sound moment in Bad Bad Season 2 that still sticks with me when I think of the whole season? And this, for anyone listening that hasn't watched the whole season, what are you doing? But spoiler alert, turn this off right now. When they throw Tex glasses and they they land on the ground. And I swear when I, because when I first watched that episode, I watched it with headphones on. And I swear Tex glasses landing was way louder than anything else. And it just, it's just a punch right in the gut. That was such a very specific moment. And that was just like, oh, the sound for that was something that, again, it was just, it was, oh, it's heartbreaking. I'm trying to remember. I'm I'm trying to remember if we sweetened that or at all because um, those kind of sounds start with our foley crew. So that would be our foley artists like Margie O'Malley and uh, Kim Patrick and does Shelley walk on those? No, I think it's Margie. So and our silver our foley supervisor Frank Ranella, who I've been working with forever, um, they cover all of those prop sounds. So he would cover that first. And what I'm trying to remember is sometimes we sweeten them. There was a shot in the first episode of Bad Batch where a lightsaber hits the ground um, and they realize the batch realizes that's a dead Jedi they're carrying out of there, you know, in the hangar on uh, Camino. Um, I had to sweeten that with some bigger than life sounds at the at the um, request of the director at Brad's request. I'm pretty sure we did the same with the goggles. And I, I just at the time I, at the moment, I don't remember what we did, but I do remember that we pushed it up in the mix because that is supposed to be like a. You know, that's Dr. Hemlock basically twisting the knife um, in a really tense situation. And uh, I'm glad you you noticed that. But yeah, that all starts with our Foley crew. We are extremely lucky to have the level of detail that we have in our Foley. You know, that it's what every episode is uniquely walked. Uh, Foley is walked like a like a like a feature um, for all of our animation and TV. You know, they're, they're a great crew. And, uh, you know, and we when we get it. I mean, it's, it's cut and ready to go and it just sounds amazing. And sometimes I like to actually get a bounce of what they do before it's even edited and perfectly cut so that I can edit sounds over what they've done because it, it's so inspiring, you know? Um, so oftentimes, you know, we don't even wait until it's edited. We're just like, can you send us what you're doing so we can like cut, cut to it? Cause it's, it makes the scene come to life and it inspires ideas. I'm afraid this was all I could salvage. Consider it a gift. Well, I think that leads us to no big deal. The Mandalorian season three. Yeah, I was I was asked to be the sound designer on that via text from Matt Wood, and I I, I very coolly responded absolutely. But I I might have I might have wept a little bit. <laughs> um, 
you know, I was I, like, do you, do you have the right guy? Are you sure? Um, <laughs> no, I was ready. I was, I was so excited and ready and, and, you know, after Boba Fett, you know, and, um, the Emmy nom and everything, I was really ready to, to jump in and, and very excited to work with John Favreau, who was just the, just the best. One of the biggest lessons I learned as a sound designer working in TV is you can't spend as much time as I spent on that gator fight in the beginning of the first episode. <laughs> because I, I cut that whole thing myself. You know, like I, I was starting out going, I'm going to make this the greatest sounding show ever. That's not, I don't care. You know, and so I, I mean, I'm, I'm cutting the water and I'm like scooping the EQ out in the middle because, you know, I want, I designed that, the gator vocals and, you know, doing all this crazy stuff. And, and, uh, suddenly I'm like, well, I've got a whole other episode to do, you know, and, and then I got to do the, the, the pirate ships. And, uh, and I spent a ton of time on the, the sort of proton torpedoes of the N1 starfighter. And it only happens, I think twice in the entire season. And you can barely hear it because there's so much else going on. But like, I'm like, this N1 starfighter is different and it's unique. And Acord did such a good job. I've got to make weapons that sound great. Pew, pew, boom, move on, you know? But uh, it was a huge, huge challenge. But um, I learned so much about being, um, uh, it sounds pretentious to say filmmaker, but like an, a sound artist on one of these, you know, on TV or film from working with Favreau and working with the picture department, because the editors also give lots of incredible notes, you know, they've been going, they've been, they're veterans in what they do. And that this is their, you know, third season of Mando plus Book of Boba Fett and they taught me a lot about storytelling and sometimes John would give me a note and I wouldn't understand the note until I executed it. And I realized that it made the scene better because he had this instinct. I'll give you an example. So um, he had this really curious note, like, you know, the, the gator scene, he had no notes on the gator scene. I was thrilled. You know, I was like opening scene. I played it down for him. He was like, that was great. Later on, he would have notes that would surprise me. He's like, you know, when they're at the droid bar and he's, and he shows the, the little, the little container or whatever it is to the droid bartender and says, Hey, I found this on the, on the, uh, on this, on this, uh, defective droid. And the bartender says, we, we serve lots of those. And he places down a, a whole tray of them. He's like, I want that tray sound, that slam sound to be louder, you know, uh, and bigger. And I didn't know why he's like, and more intricate. And I didn't know why he was nitpicking on that until I did it. And then I played it back for him and he like leaned back in his chair and laughed. And I realized that it changed the dynamic of the scene because he's trying to build the, the, the frustration and resentment inside Mando for droids. And it turned the droid, it gave the droid more character to be like, so what slam down, you know, screw you like that sort of thing, you know, and it helped justify, uh, Din Djarin losing it on the droid later, you know, and pulling out the little, uh, zapper. You know, and I and I suddenly realized like just how these details mold and shape scenes and stories. You know that you can be so focused on the huge and fantastic, but actually the interpersonal is is a huge part of your job. You know, the the exchange between characters and and punching up certain sounds. And I should have known better because you know when when that R two droid came in to uh, the R two or maybe it was an R five unit came into Tim Meadows' office. And he's like, no, don't put that there. Don't, don't, don't. I put like a really nice slam down of all those data disks to justify Tim Meadows' annoyed look. And then I put a very farty sort of droid ha-ha in there afterwards. 
you know, so I, I can, I picked up on that, but for whatever reason, I didn't pick up on that particular moment. And, and sometimes you just get these notes from people and it just makes you better at what you do. It's one of the first things I noticed about Matthew Wood. You know, it's like people think of him as General Grievous, but, you know, he'll walk into the back of my office and be like, you know, if you change the reverb there, this whole scene will have way more tension because now they're in an unfamiliar place and it sounds really dangerous. And then I do it and he's totally right. And then he just walks out of the office, like, you know, <laughs> which makes total sense when you've been working with George Lucas and Ben Burt for as many years as he did, you know, or you worked with J.J. Abrams or, or, um, Paul Thomas Anderson or Pixar, you know, that's why they're, they're, they, they get so good at what they do because they've just been around, they've been around this kind of feedback, you know, they know how to do this stuff and, and, you know, to absorb that is just, it's just like magic. Uh, and that's what Mandalorian was like. It was, it was super intense, you know, um, some of the moments were just so huge, you know, the, the Coruscant chase that the, the whole finale was, I remember watching it the first time going, Oh my God. How does it work with, so you're coming in Mandalorian season three. Do you know every sound that you're going to have to make for the whole season before you start? Or are you taking it episode by episode? Cause there's a lot of sounds in Mandalorian season three, right? You do a spotting session with the director. It's the first thing you do is you, you actually put on the calendar, you, you go through with the director and an editor's kind of scrubbing through the episode. So like they'll do a turnover of whatever the shape the episode's in. I'll have watched it all down ahead of time. And then they say, okay, we're coming to a meeting, you know, tomorrow at three, we're going to have a meeting and the editor's going to scrub through while Favreau talks you through what he wants. And I'm taking notes on what the big sort of dramatic beats are and what, what the things are that, that he's looking for. And then I just kind of know in my head, like, all right, well, we're going to use this to cover this and that to cover that. But this we don't have, you know, this we have to make. Or, you know, this is new, we're going to have to record that, or I'm going to have to use my my synth for this droid because we don't have, like, R5 was a big one for me. R5-D4 was, was a big challenge on this show because I wanted it to sound like R5, but there's very limited material on, on R5. So I made a lot of new stuff with my own uh, ARP 2600 clone that I have um, to try and, and, and make it sit with what people know about R5. You know, and even then, Dave's notes are very specific, like, you know, he wanted a certain shake on when he was scared, you know, and the sound of, you know, I think it was shoes knocking around in a, in a dryer ended up being the sound of R5 shaking here, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. And so you, you, you make everything that you think you're going to need, but sometimes you don't know until the editor does a pass and then they start requesting stuff from you too. Like, Hey, I don't really have anything great for this breathing mask. So then I would make something for the, for the, um, uh, the Mandalorian breathing mask and the breath mask, you know, the, that, cause you don't want it to sound like Darth Vader. You want it to be kind of its own thing, you know? So you just kind of, you kind of keep going and, and uh, you try and curate as much as you are making stuff. You know, you say to your editor, use this for this, use that for that. And then you do a review and then it, then it goes to the mix. And fortunately you have multiple iterate, you have multiple chances at it. You know, the first time you play it is not uh, necessarily the last time you get to, to fix it. However, if something gets approved, you don't want to touch it because it is, it is television. I mean, you're, you're moving at a, at a, at a quick pace. You've got, um, hours of, of star Wars to make. It's, it's a huge undertaking doing eight hours of star Wars or eight, I say eight episodes, you know, probably about six and a half, seven hours. But are you pretty much, will you be done with 
you know, the first episode before you do the second episode, or are you kind of jumping back and forth between episodes because everything's moving at once? Great question. So I start weeks before my sound editors come on so that I can try and build a library. And I'm trying to, I will generally try and focus on the, the, the earlier stuff in the season. Cause that's the stuff I know they're going to start on first. But you know, sometimes while you're designing, you find things and you're like, Oh, you know, this would be great for that thing that happens on Plaza 15. You know, this would be great for like the, the hyperloop pad or whatever. And so you end up just working on that for a while and, you know, it's a creative process. So sometimes, you know, things just kind of happen. We have multiple episodes in production at the same time. Um, so you have one editor working on one episode and then you've kind of staggered it and uh, like a week or two later, someone starts on the other episode, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're done with the first one when you're working on the second one. And if the first one has a change or there's a lot of notes or, you know, the visual effects are coming in, then you can, you can at some point have like three or four episodes going in various stages at once, you know, just like reels of a film only longer. It's basically what it is. Who's working on this reel? Who's working on that reel? Yeah, a real literal team effort to to get it to the finish line. Oh, yeah, it takes an army. It takes an army. You know, I'm, uh, I, I, this is not and has never been a, a solo effort. There's just a ton of really talented people. And sound is the smallest. You know, I mean, you can look at the sound credits compared to visual effects. And it's like we're just we're just completely overshadowed by the number of names, you know, on the screen. There's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of names not to mention the whole crew that shot the thing, you know, which is, uh, you know, but just even in post-production, we're, we're a small sliver of, of what happens. One thing we're wondering with the Mandalorian season three, there was a lot more, at least it seemed like to us, a lot more Grogu voice in season three. It's such a unique thing. Yeah. What's the process like for that? With, cause Grogu almost now he's so, he's just as iconic as R2-D2. And like, like what we were talking with R2-D2, like, and, or Wookiees, there are things we know it has to sound like, but it's continuously growing. Yeah, Grogu's, Grogu is so interesting because Grogu is like a legacy thing. And, and we rarely mess with the, the, the sounds that come to us from the picture department because they have them from David, David Acord, who you know, helped first establish them in the first season. They also have their own package of stuff, you know, that, that, um, that sounds very childlike and very cute. And by the time the sound crew gets to it, the showrunner and the editors have been living with this for a long time, you know, and if you're not going to make it better, then you, you almost don't mess with it. I, I actually am not privy to what happened in the first season and how Grogu's vocals were arrived upon. But I know that by the third season, the only things that we did were uh, at one point Favreau recorded uh, a couple of his dogs playing together and he sent it to me and he sent it to Matt and he's like, is there anything in here we can use? And I said, yes, but can you get a cleaner recording? Where'd you record? He's like, oh, I recorded in my kitchen. Can you record it in the living room? So we'd get less reflections. Yeah. Okay. So he sent it to us and I put it in the library and the sound of those dogs playing with each other, you can hear it twice in the season. One is when Grogu is hugging the Anzellans you hear this kind of like, that's Favreau's dog. No, Grogu. <laughs> not a pet. No, it's crazy. That's great. That's great. Bad baby. Oh, bad baby. Sorry about that. He's young. Bad baby. 
And then the other one is is uh, when he's eating all, all of those nuts and things, and right before he grabs the Melu Run fruit from you know while he's in IG twelve. Which, by the way, I, I voiced that vendor going, "Oh no, no, muli ra, whatever I said. That was me. <laughs> Thank you. What was, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so we used it there when he's like just chowing down on that whatever food is in front of him. What are you doing? Stop, Groco. No, get the paper, those. Get the water. No. Yes. Hey, Grogu, no. Give it no. Grogu, give it back. Um, but for the most part, his vocals are really established, and they were established far before I, I came on the show. And why they appear more in this season really doesn't have anything to do with us and has everything to do with how the, the edits were constructed. You know, the way that they shot it, the way that they script, you know, the way that it was written, basically. So we did very little to, to Grogu because he's so sacred the way he is. It is interesting when you put it that way, too. I didn't even think about it as as Grogu is more almost like one of the actors. And it is almost more like it's ADR or something you got. And, you're, you know, you don't want to mess with this dialogue almost as opposed to just, you know. Well, because there's sound effects. There's sound effects that are cut into whatever the puppet's lip, you know, mouth shape. Whatever was successful on how that puppet moved its mouth in the first season and whatever was cutest and got the strongest emotional reaction, you know, although Grogu did change a little bit this season because there's one point where it almost sounds like he says this is the way. And so they have this whole bank of stuff. And I think they're being they're just I think if anything, they were just doing more this season to make him more uh, animated and 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 pushing him a little bit more towards uh, being more expressive. Because he did talk a lot. And I think that was one of the nice things about, about IG-12, too, was getting in his head and hearing the yes and no, you know, and giving him a real point of view in this episode was really fun. What a great device that was, you know. We we were talking about it when we were talking about those episodes, and I'm sure you can relate of being parents and when your child is for when 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 your child is first in that no stage where you know you're chasing your your toddler around the house with them just saying no 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 you know yeah there there was a there was a uh, there's a great shot of him just hitting the yes button over and over again as they're walking through Navarro and it's it's intentionally annoying like <laughs> like I looked over at my wife when she was watching it and she laughed you know this is I think the seventh episode you know. And those but those beefy like arcade cabinet button pushes, you know, um, are so loud because because every time someone watched it that way, um, it got a laugh, and so we 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 didn't mess with it. We left it that way, you know. Ding, yes, you know. They do nice work. I'll give them that. But Grogu is too young to operate heavy machinery. Maybe when he's older. No. What do you mean no? No. I think he's saying he's old enough to operate it. Yes. Mm-mm. Get him out of there. No. No, at least let him try it out in my office. Yes. No, this is not a good idea. Come on. Hey. Would you look at that? Yes. Yes, what? Yes. Yes. 
Yes. One more yes. thing with Mandalorian season yes. three too. I remember on Twitter talking in the second episode, the amazing Rodian talking to Pelly. That was that was you, right? And that is it was an unbelievable. Just I, we are. It was great because when when the episode started right away with that Rodian, we both were just like, oh my god! And then when we heard that you did the voice, yeah. So bravo and thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a funny thing where in the temp it was like. You know, I don't know what what was in the temp, but I I wrote something like I I wrote out the Hatties because doing in Luke Group for uh, for so long we've you know this is something that Sam had to do in Book of Boba Fett when he played the Rodian that that betrayed uh, Tamar Morrison in the first episode. You know, we're like writing out all of this Hatties, you know, with Ben you know Ben Bird's little book and you know you're you, you're doing all this stuff and you know looking back on all your old scripts and. And so I wrote something out that was kind of like Hatiz-lish, like kind of basic Hatiz, because I think at one point he goes, no, Chuba, no, like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost want to check in, in my email to see if I actually have the script that I wrote. I do, yeah. Yeah, that stuff, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's the, yeah, I was saying all that sort of stuff. Cause I was also trying to figure out how long I had to say what I had to say. And sometimes it cuts away and I could get into stuff. I mean, it's, it's very just kind of cobbled together based on what I thought would fit the lip sync. And then they changed, we changed it. So it didn't sound so much like me. (laughs) It sounded so, cause it's those things where, you know, it's new, but it still sounds old like it sounds like star wars it doesn't sound like a new thing it sounds like it would sound if there was a angry rodian you know talking to pelly like it was just yeah it was really really good oh that's awesome yeah and that's scary because you're like holding a scene with amy sidaris you know and you're and you're they're like well you guys will do it in in like sound and loop group right Uh, okay yeah i mean let's (laughs) let's figure this out i don't know what to tell you pal I mean, there are a lot of parts missing. Fine, I'll push you back out in the street. You heard him, pitch rides. No, 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 pirate king gorian shard and just the like you said the the finale and just the praetorian guards just unbelievable amount of stuff oh yeah we got to go into all of that uh wonderful ren kleiss last jedi sound design and gorian was fun too because i was always very inspired by uh ben burt's uh casserole story when it came to jabba the hutt's vocals And so I did this thing and it's funny. I there's sometimes there's a weird thing with sound where, you know, the music's going, the limiters are going and you, you don't think that it makes a difference until you take it away and something feels like it's missing, but it's absolutely there, which is every time Gorian talks, there's this sort of like mossy seaweed sort of under his vocal that I cut into every one of his lines. And it's this weird thing where if you have it in there somehow it feels more real when you don't and when you don't have it in there it feels like voiceover uh oh you know edited to a puppet you know and suddenly when you put it in there and you mix it in with the foley 
and all the other sounds, suddenly it feels like there's a there's a person coming at you on screen. It's those little things sometimes. And and you know, most people I don't think even register that Jabba has this like mush mouth casserole sound every time he opens his mouth. They just think of his voice. But it's in there, you know, um, with the subharmonic synth that he's got going on the voice to give it the size and everything. And uh, it's the same with uh, Gorian. You know, I, I took a page out of out of Ben's book and 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 cut that in underneath, and it made a big difference. Stop where you are, Mandalorian. You're outgunned. I have no quarrel with you, Gorian Shard. Ha! What a kind sentiment from a man who just destroyed four of my fighters. Surrender your ship, and I'll spare your life you know, the, the poetry at rhymes of, you know, the, the Corsair pirate ship going down into the mountainside. I absolutely referenced Return of the Jedi there with the Super Star Destroyer going into the Death Star and, you know, um, making those cannons were super fun. And, you know, I very much wanted, for example, the classic Star Destroyer blasters on, um, on the Mandalorian Imperial ship at the very end when he's fighting those TIE fighters, because that would have been an Imperial Star Destroyer. With those classic blasters, I think I added some some more, you know, high end, um, you know, transient, you know, explosive sounds on the top of them. But I still have that classic sort of Star Wars Empire Star Destroyer uh, uh, turret sound. It was just I'm, just I'm staring off into space trying to think of other details, but it was so so fun. Well, I think of towards the end too, with it just being a symphony of jetpack sounds too. Like yeah. that must have been just a blast. Just so many jetpacks. No pun intended. (laughs) I wish I had more time with the jetpacks because I I think, I think I could have gone even crazier with them. There were just so many and jetpacks are, are interesting. You know, it was one of those things where, um, I was like, we had lots of jetpack material, um, from the Clone Wars. We had lots of jetpack material from the prequels and Django and all of that. We also had jetpack material from rise of Skywalker. I ended up making more midway through the season for, um, the episode where they're running out of fuel. I went back. It was this is actually over the holiday break. I went back and, and added more detail because um, Favreau was like, you know, this episode takes place in sunlight, and you know, I think because of that, you can make you can really tell the story with sound. Go nuts! Like, have me have me pull you back. Don't be subtle here, because you know this is it, it's. Sometimes hard to see, you know, in, in sunlight, what's going on here. So tell us with sound. And so I went and I made like just the craziest pass on that whole jetpack sequence and, and made a bunch of stuff mid season and really enjoyed that. And, um, you know, from there that got pulled back a little bit, you know, it was exactly what, how he predicted, you know, I'd rather take you too far and pull you back. And that's what, what happened. And, um, I, I wish I could have done that with every episode. That was such a luxury to be able to have him go, you know what? Everything's going well. Why don't you take another swing at this? And we'll come back in, you know, after the break and, and we'll, uh, we'll look at it again. And, um, if only you could do that on every episode, you know, you'd be able to just, you know, sign off and make everything perfect. But, but yeah, the jetpacks were interesting. It's an interesting challenge. One other song that I I just remembered, but that was probably one of my favorite in the season and and also I think kind of helped with the story was Gideon's, uh, his suit sounds. Oh, yeah. Because in the episode, uh, the second to last episode, when he's talking about his his, uh, Beskar suit, I kind of took it as like, 
it's just like Mandalorian armor. But then in the last episode, when you hear all the little motor sounds and stuff, I'm like, oh, it's like it's like a mech suit. It's like power armor. Yeah, that was just a really cool sound. That was great. Yeah, that was that was a note. That's a spotting note that, that you know, they had cut some stuff into the temp like, hey, we want this to be a, mechan- a mechanized suit. So can you please cut in like uh, I think we, we referenced Robocop, yeah. you know, yeah. And that's actually one of the greatest, one of my greatest joys of working with, um, with, with, uh, John Favreau was I, I got to, you know, ask him like, Oh, you want a moment that sounds like this movie or that movie. And so we're constantly referencing other movies and, and, uh, as this kind of like language to get on the same page. Um, one example of that was, um, uh, Richard Dreyfuss in Jaws where he finds the, he finds the head, you know, um, and so when Bo-Katan sees the mythosaur, he wanted a, you know, a piece like that, you know, and he's like, it's kind of like, and I was like, like Jaws. And he goes, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what I want. I want that right there, you know? And so, you know, it got to be this kind of fun game of like, oh, this is like this, this is like that. Because you are, you're trying to like communicate ideas very quickly, you know? And so speaking about these different films and things. So yeah, that was definitely like I think a RoboCop conversation on the on the mech suit, and so I think Kevin Bolin uh, cut those in for me, and then I, I think I might have pitched and sped them up to make them sound a little, you know, a little more, um, I think, agile and, and dangerous, you know. But I didn't have to do much to it, you know. He cut it in, and it was great, and we just we moved it in, and then of course when the mixer gets it, they do their own magic on it and make sure that it's nice and featured in the mix and cuts through the music and everything. So. Um, that was kind of the story on those, but, um, there's so many, I mean, there's just thousands of things across the season, you know, that, that you just have to kind of quickly speak about and, and move through, you know? And, uh, yeah, that was, I forgot about those, those mech sounds, but yeah, they really make a big dramatic difference. Yeah. Cause it's almost subliminal in a way, but it, you, you can tell that there's something different about Gideon this time. And, and, it, and it really was, I think like almost the second time watching, it, I was like, oh yeah, there's like all these really cool sounds from his suit. So. Yeah. Excellent stuff. I just, my, my overall take on Mandalorian was just how satisfying and fun it was working with, uh, with that editing crew and kind of being, you know, cause when I was editing on book of Boba Fett, I was communicating with our sound designer and our team, but this time I was, I was, you know, uh, in on the spotting session and in on all the mixes and, and they're just so good at what they do. Um, and it was just a real pleasure to work with them. Um, and I can't wait to see what they do next and hopefully get to work on it. Well, kind of getting up to the very close to the present, uh, two very recent animated things, both sides of the Star Wars spectrum, Vision Season 2 and the wonderful Young Jedi Adventures. Right. Well, we can start with Vision Season 2. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. What was your involvement in Vision Season 2? Well, Visions, the first season, Visions is so interesting. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole discussion. I'll try and summarize, but you know, Visions is this anthology series where we learned on season one that, you know, the best thing to do is to throw the rule book out and really let it live up to its name, that this is all about the vision of that particular studio and that particular part of the world and let them run rampant with it. And as Skywalker Sound, we are a service. We are here to do whatever it is you need to realize that vision. If your vision is for this to sound like a Star Wars movie, we can do that. 
if your vision is for us to, to get out of the way, we can do that as well and anywhere in between. And that's the speech that I would give to every studio on our, on our kickoff calls, you know, that we're here to help you. Um, we're not going to put any rules, you know, uh, on your, your episode. We can tell you what things traditionally have sounded like, and we can provide those. But if you decide that it's going to be different, then that's fine. And a great example of this is, you know, in season one, I did this episode called The Duel. We just kind of did what we did on it. We wanted it to be this kind of, you know, Kurosawa uh, samurai uh, Star Wars, but have it really sound like Star Wars. Whereas this episode T.O.B. 1, or I just called it Toby 1, had this very Astro Boy, Mega Man kind of look to it. And I started doing a sound pass on it because the they weren't sure what the sound crew was going to do. There was a sound crew in Japan and they hired a sound designer. I think they actually might've hired the Astro Boy sound designer. And when they hadn't gotten those sounds yet, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And I actually started feeling like I was getting in the way and I was ruining what they were trying to do. And when I heard what the sound designer did, I was, I just put, you know, pencils down. This, this needs to be its own thing. We don't, we shouldn't worry about what a lightsaber is supposed to sound like there. This is their vision. And the more pure it is, and the less restrictions we put on it, the more successful it's going to be. And that's that's kind of exactly what happened. You know, we only worked on I think four of the episodes of season one, and the rest was all done by those internal uh, teams. With season two, it was a little bigger. We did a little bit more, but I I worked with Mac Smith. Um, I've known Mac for years. We worked on Revenge of the Sith, the video game together, and he hired me for a movie a few years ago called Nine Days, which was a Sundance movie, and. And so speaking of the Emmys, he's standing there holding his Moon Knight Emmy going, hey, my project slipped if you need any help on anything. I was like, well, you, can you help me do Visions? <laughs> and, uh, and so he did. So he did Screecher's Reach and, and, uh, and quite a few others. Um, the only three that I did in season two were The Pit with Leandre. Uh, Leandre Thomas from Lucasfilm, who I'd worked with a lot on sort of like the the last jedi and rogue one documentary blu-ray stuff you know because he does a lot of those documentary edits uh he was the director of the pit so i did that one and i did um sith with el giri but they had their own sound designer so i just kind of kind of topped what he did a little bit and had and you know gave some collaborative notes and and was in on the mix and you know was able to provide sounds at the last minute and then I also did um, the Spy Dancer with Studio La Cachette from, from from Paris, and I loved the cabaret nature of that episode. But again, it's an anthology series, and the and and so it's not like you have any muscle memory in the show. Every episode you're kicking off as a new thing. There's no show library. There's just like okay, what what what's going to be thrown at us this time? You know, how Star Wars do we want to make it? How Star Wars do we not want to make it? And uh, and that was really really fun to kind of to kind of have that come to that realization that that's kind of the magic of the show other than that i wrote the 12 seconds of music at the at, on the logo of of every of every episode and that that happened that was also just kind of a fluke thing where they were like hey what do we do here and you know i think they had something that they didn't like and and um i gave them a couple of options that i mocked up and skywalker's like well you need to kind of hire him separately for this as a composer and so they did um, and I gave them like 12 versions and then I gave them a, a seven more and then they picked one and, uh, finaled it. And that became the, the logo sound for season one and two. And then, yeah, the, 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 the other end of the spectrum, young Jedi adventures. Yeah. I didn't do much on that. I just did the, I did, I think his name's RJ. 
uh, the little droid. Uh, there's this cute, cute little droid, and I, I basically got to spend a couple of weeks making uh, like little mini R2 or astromech sounds. And I made those with my synth, and so um, made a bunch of sentences and little quirps and little emotes that he can make, and then uh, handed that off to to a totally different team. And then I think Bill Rudolph and Kevin Bolin also did a bunch of sounds. We became like the animation crew last year and just knocked out so much cool stuff uh, in animation, you know, and between the three of us, we were just kind of like mapping out who's doing what and when. And, and uh, that was really cool. So cool. Yeah. The droid sounded absolutely perfect. And it was, that's the ARP 2600. Yeah, that's, well, it's, it's a, it's a re um, it's a reissue. Um, it's not one of the originals, but one of the originals is what, uh, you know, it's what Ben Burt used to make R2-D2 and so many sounds from the original trilogy. And so I just decided to buy one a couple years ago. I mean, I've used it in Book of Boba Fett. I've used it in Mandalorian. I've used, I use it in everything. I've used it for so many different things. I mean, but it's also like a musical synth. I mean, this is the same synth that was used on like Michael Jackson's Thriller record, you know, for like bass lines and stuff. Um, you know, it's a, it's a synth that's been in a lot of uh, music stuff, but but Ben Burt made it specifically very famous uh, in uh, with Star Wars. You know, on top of all that, somehow too, you've had time to bring back the incredible soundtrack show, which we are huge fans of. Your recent series on ET was I, I said to you in a message that it was some of the best three hours of podcast i had ever heard just oh, unbelievable and it the the thing that blows my mind with the soundtrack show is i'm so familiar with these scores especially et and the work of john williams and hearing you break them down so i don't even know how to describe it gabe what am i trying to say i think you're just trying to say that they're great yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you and they're they're great they're interesting and we can tell you put a lot of effort into it too like it, you know, not like you ha- don't have anything else going on, but it's like, they're just so well done. Oh, thanks. I mean, they're, they're, it's how I relax if that's so, it's a weird way to say it, but it's, it's, it's like my hobby, you know, um, I don't mean producing them. I don't mean recording them and editing it all together. That feels like work. I mean, the research part. I mean, like if I get it in my head that I want to do, um, an episode on something, then I, I just, it's an opportunity to take my love for something. There's a, there's a pressure that I'm applying to myself to take my love of a particular movie or what our project further than I've ever taken it to, to, to learn as much as I possibly can. And that process can take a long time. Sometimes I've, I'm in the middle of, and, and sometimes I just put in a, a stupid amount of work. Like right now I'm, I'm uh, writing episodes on Star Trek, the original series season one. To say that that's a big undertaking is a, is a bit of a um, is a bit of an understatement. I fortunately there's a book by a guy named Jeff Bond that I've been obsessing over called The Music of Star Trek, and it's a hard thing to find. But if you do that and you're a soundtrack collector and you sort of have a voracious appetite for liner notes like I do, and then you can find old articles and you know uh, you know things online, uh, interviews online, then you start to piece together um, a lot of information and some just really interesting stories come out of it, you know, and ET was one of those examples where I was just like, God, this, you know, what is it? And it was hard to figure out how to approach it. What is it about this that makes this so timeless and so good? Like what, why is it the music's almost more famous than the movie? 
I realized after I was done uh, that, that the music has just become this timeless thing. And it's because they treated the music with such reverence, you know, for him to actually shut off the projector and say, you know what, don't worry about the movie, just play a great piece of music and I will recut this whole final sequence to your select. That's a great story about making art in general, you know, and I, I just love hearing about that stuff. And then I get excited about it and I just want to share it. And that's, that's the heart of the show. Guys, I just read this thing that blew my mind. Check this out. And then I just, you know, I keep going from there until I feel like I have enough to say that's, you know, worth saying. And then, uh, and then I spend time writing it. But that's the longest part is the research and writing it. And then I produce the thing in a day or two. It's really, it's, I, I have to cut myself off, you know, for fear of missing something. Because there are old episodes where I go, oh, I got that wrong, you know. But when you're when you're stating like hundreds of of things in an episode, and you know a couple things are out, you're like, okay, well, if this if I was a professor, then my lesson plans of next year would be that much better. But I'm not. It's a podcast, and it's gone out, warts and all. Sorry, you know. So you know, I try and get it as close as I can. But I just I just love love uh, making that. If I could do it full time, I would. Um, but I also, it's hard when someone asks you to do the Mandalorian to say no. (laughs) (laughs) And that is honestly like Holly Fry approached me with a contract to do the soundtrack show the same month I started back at Skywalker in 2018. And I couldn't say no to either, but I didn't know how to do either or do both, you know, and, uh, Skywalker kept going and, and, uh, soundtrack show did too, but you know, there's, it's not, it's podcasting. It's not something that, that, um, I'm necessarily going to uh, pay my mortgage with, you know. Yeah, we know we know about that. <laughs> yeah, you do, you do it because you love it. You right, do it because right, you love it. Yeah. And of course, I just put way much, way too much time into it. You know, it's not like I hit record for for a bit and then you know, not that you guys do either, but like I, it's like a very carefully edited, constructed essay on something that I love. You know, and uh, I put way too much time into each episode. You um, can tell that you put the time like it's you, you can hear it and yeah we're so glad that even if it takes a while for you to get around to them that you know you take the time to still do that because yeah they're 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 so great well if i decide to stop cutting sound and do a patreon you guys will be the first to know um okay. <laughs> because my one regret about the show is i just can't get it out the door fast enough i really just i wish i could do it all the time i'd just be sitting there like a huge nerd with a book and a and a and my earbuds in or whatever and just like you know, like I, I walk my son to school and I'm listening to, you know, uh, Alexander Courage's score for uh, the Naked Time or whatever episode of Star Trek. You know, <laughs> people must think I'm crazy that I'm listening to this stuff. It's not not too different than probably Gabe or I at work or driving. No, no, or sometimes, not. yeah, I think if, if people only knew the wild stuff I was listening to right now and. Yeah, I can't wait to hear you break down the Kirk fighting music. That's well, it depends on which one. Yeah, I mean that. It's it's a longer this is a longer podcast, but uh, you know, so much about um, my my second episode will be about the realities of making television in the 1960s, and, and even down to musicians' union rules, which is why so much of that music got reused, you know. And and there's a whole puzzle that Jeff Bond deconstructed in terms of who wrote what, because there's I think five composers on the first season alone, and and. You know, there's the order in which they were produced. Then there's the order in which they were scored. Then there's the order in which they were released. And not, I think only 11 out of 28 episodes have original music in them. And then the rest were recycled. And some of them are partial scores. That's how they got to that, you know? So it's a, it's a long, 
it's been a long sort of investigative process into into how this all works, but fascinating because I'm I'm you know l- reading and learning about you know people my grandparents' age doing for a living what I do. How the similarities and differences I just find totally compelling. There's a human story in all of it, and that's part of the soundtrack show too. Is like the music is great, but what about the people that are creating this, and and what what are the economics and the situations under which you're creating it culturally or otherwise? I just love that stuff. I love it. Yeah, I can't wait, and it probably gave you a a great excuse to watch the original series again one more time, a few times probably. Oh yes, yeah. Oh, totally. And 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 I'm so. This is what I mean. I'm so starved. I'm like, can I really put out episodes until I've watched every single one? <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, just put out the episode. Just get it. To, you know. Yeah, that, this is this is the uh, this is what I mean when I say I do it to relax. I I'm, uh, I'm watching too much Star Trek at the moment. Well, this has been so much fun. Just every time we get to talk to you, it's an absolute treat. And oh, thanks you guys too, and thanks for everything that you do. It's a it's a lot. You know, you guys are are just doing so much out there for fans and providing so much fun for people to listen to. And thanks for playing my Return of the Jedi memory the other day. That was great. Oh, thanks. Thank you for sending it. Well, and I heard from several people that sent messages that your message was so emotional for them and just got them thinking of, you know, things they never thought of with memories of going to see Return of the Jedi. So, yeah. So thank you on behalf of everyone that listened and for us. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Thanks, you guys. Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. Action figures each sold separately. I'm Lando. Who's there? Han Solo on a mission with a rebel soldier. What's your mission? We're fighting the Empire. And we need your help. Han Solo, rebel soldier, Lando Calrissian, and Bespin Guard each sold separately. From Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. New from Kenner. And these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. All right, everybody. I think after this amazing chat with Mr. David W. Collins. I think we deserve an, an Apple podcast review. Get done listening. If you listen on Apple, go and write something nice about the show. Leave us a five-star review. Some more people can find Blast Points when they're looking for Star Wars podcasts. And therefore, if you listen on Spotify, 
leave us a five-star review over there too and make sure you check out our website blastpointspodcast.com which is uh, the best place to search for back episodes so if you for instance want to listen to our other episodes with uh, the wonderful david w collins you can search for that on there and make sure you are following us on social media on instagram twitter and facebook and if you're on facebook make sure you're part of the blast point super chill group and if you want to support the show in a different way, we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where we've had our commentary for the first two episodes of The Mandalorian Season 3. Lots of Mandalorian Season 3 love and talk this week, rightfully so. And very soon we will have our commentary for Episodes 3 and 4 of Mando Season 3. So some Pershing action in there. I can't wait to revisit that Pershing episode. And if you are a member of the Blast Points Army on Patreon, we thank you so much for your support. And folks, next week, can you believe it? Next week is the start of Indie Month. All Indiana Jones, all of June, leading up to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Our our destiny is flying at us at light speed. Starting next week, it's all Indiana Jones all through June, and I'm excited. I think, yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. There's gonna be giveaways. We're gonna have some special guests coming on. We're gonna be talking about a lot of Indiana Jones things. So get ready for that next week. But that wraps up number 360 here. The return of David Collins. Ugh, there's so much. I'm still thinking about the Gideon Robocop sounds. And if you haven't checked it out before, you got to check out the soundtrack show. You are missing out if you're not listening. And thank you. Huge thank you once again to David Collins for asking to be on the show one more time. Thanks again to folks at Skywalker Sound for saying yes, letting us do this. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you very soon. Bye bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Oh my God, it's been an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> I had no idea. You can tell I don't get out much. I'm like chained to my desk <laughs> making stuff. Well, thanks. Thanks, you guys. And looking forward to, uh, to hearing more. And I'm sure we'll do this again in another however long it's been. May the force be with you. Ah!